Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church this morning. Just want to just want to welcome everybody here this morning. It's good to be worshiping together. And if you're visiting, uh, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So make sure you swing by the welcome center in the foyer. And this morning, as I was as I was driving here to church, I I, I heard the word hope. And I, and I heard the word heart, and, and God put this verse on my heart this morning, and I pray, it's in Romans fifteen thirteen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I love Sunday mornings because we get to join together as family and we get to come together and we get to worship God. And as we glorify Him and as we, we tell Him who He is, then we receive and our, and our family receives. And so as we, we just want to invite everyone to just open your heart. And as, we, and as we go back into worship here, open your heart and just worship the one true God and let's glorify Him together. Just as we're going back into this, I want you to think of the story in the book of Acts when Peter's in jail and he's surrounded by these walls and Peter takes one posture. He begins to worship the Lord. And as he begins to worship the Lord, those walls broke down. And so this morning, this is what the Lord is speaking to each and every one of us. We all have those walls around us. But he's asking, will you participate in this? So this morning as we continue, this is the call from the Father. Call on my name. Worship me. Seek me. Praise me. Love me. I am all around you. I haven't left. I won't leave. I am still there. Continue to seek because I am there. So this morning, if you're struggling, this is specifically for you to push through this. Because he is there. He is there. He is there. And that jail is going to break as you begin to pursue him. So do that this morning. You know, we read in 2 Kings that there was a prophet, Elisha, and, and there was a king of a country called Aram. And, and every time this king decided he was going to attack Israel, the prophet Elisha would go to the king of Israel and tell him exactly where they were going to be and when and how and whatever. And so the king of Aram got really upset and says, finally, I'm going to go after this Elisha guy because he tells the other king what I say in my bedroom. So he goes after him. Elisha's servant gets up one morning and he looks out and they are completely surrounded by the Arameans. And they are. It's not that it's not real. It's not that they're not surrounded by the enemy. They actually are surrounded by the enemy for real. And so Gehazi, he's freaked right out. He's going, uh-oh, we're dead. We are surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha goes, no, 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 no. There's more with us than against us. And then he prays. He says, God, open his eyes. And Gehazi looks up, and suddenly he realizes that this little piddly number of enemies that are surrounding them are vastly outnumbered by the mount that is surrounding them. 
So again, it's not that the trouble isn't real. It's not that the enemy isn't real. It's just that there's so many more with us than against us. It's so much more power that those Amer- Arameans, they just went blind and Elisha actually just led them out to, you know, actually gave them a feast and sent them home. But the point was they had no damage because there were so many more with them than against them. Oh Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Let us see that there's more with us than against us. I don't really want this. Part of me doesn't want this moment to end because I still feel like there's many in our midst that I just sense that breakthroughs right in front of you. And there's a part of me that's, man, this is tough to move on from because I think that's the desire in all our hearts that all men would be free. Right? We want to see that freedom, and I think that freedom is attainable. I think there's a faith in the room today for that freedom. You know, Derek just said to me, the Lord says, you're, you're holding on by a thread, but that thread is enough because that thread is Jesus. Whatever it looks like, he is still there. He is still goddess, and I appreciate what Ken is saying because it's exactly what the Lord took me to. Is all the times that he picked me up and he brought me out of that stuff. Man, I just can't count them. There's so many of them. I just want you to look around the room. How many of you have felt totally surrounded? How many? Put your hands up. This is all of us. This is the reality of our journey. We have an enemy. He has a plan. He's not going to stop. We have a posture we have to take. And we can't stop. It's seeking Him. It's loving Him. It's walking with Him. And as soon as we let our guard down, that's when the enemy comes in. And the Lord is saying, don't let your guard down. Don't stop fighting. When you think you're too weak, I am still here. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. I hope you can hear that today. Keep fighting. Father, right now, You know the state of each person's heart in this room way better than I do. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray for those that don't know if they can keep fighting. Right now, Holy Spirit, speak to them. You have got them. You're going to take them. We know that. We trust that, God. Father, I pray right now that you would encourage them. Let them know that you've got them, God. You have got them. Father, we trust you in this. We trust you in this, Father. You have us. You have us. Holy Spirit, come and just move in our hearts. You have us. Jesus. When God shows us something, he doesn't just stop there. We've all, like Chris said, we've all felt surrounded. We've all felt unable to do something. And God showed Elisha that, and he showed a servant. Look at all the angels. But God didn't stop there, and Jim alluded to it. And this is part of, this is actually part of my favorite part of the story. The men came coming up, and he struck, Elisha said, blind them, God. And the enemies were bl- blinded, because God had a plan. It wasn't just to show them that they were not surrounded uh, by the, just the enemy, but by God. So they go blinded. Then Elisha says, follow me. And he takes them to the king in Samaria. And they get there. They're all blind. The enemies who want to destroy them. And we have enemies and situations that want to destroy us. And it says, open their eyes. The eyes open. And the king says, should we kill them all? And he says, no. Elisha says, no. 
why should we, would we kill innocent men who are captives? No. Because God doesn't have a plan just to open our eyes and release us from our situations. He has a plan to save the nations. And he gave him a, Jim said, he gave him a feast. What, these men that were going to kill Elisha and these guys before, they said, no, give them a huge feast. Bless them. God wants us to bless our enemies. God wants to destroy the, the devil, but he wants us to bless those who are our enemies, who come against us, because he has a plan for them. And he sent, then he, they fed them. They were full. They could bar, probably barely walk. They went home to Aram, and there was peace because God had a plan. So when God is showing us the, the many angels and, and that we're not surrounded just by evil, but we're surrounded by him, it's because he wants us to show us what to do to save the nations. So I bless you and encourage you in your pain, in your struggle, in your depression, in your lack of hope, God wants to show us something that he's with us as he's there for us because he has a greater plan than just showing us something. Can we say amen to that? Do we believe that? Yeah. God's not going to leave me where I'm at. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that he takes me through these seasons because I can think of all of them. And today as I look back on them, I see what he was doing. I mean, I'm looking at the yard drawings and I'm thinking of that fire, right? I mean, geez, what God did through that, right? So many amazing, powerful testimonies that came through it. Yeah, come on. So, Father, we just choose to receive your love. It's all around. You're just waiting to pour it upon us. Father, we choose just to sit in your presence today and say, I receive it. So this morning, I'm really going to be preaching on the book of James. Now, I don't know if anybody's read the book of James. It's a short one, so I'm, I'm sure most people have. Right When we're reading the Bible and we want to feel successful, sometimes we grab those shorter chapters. James is one of those shorter chapters, and we get to walk out of that saying, I read an entire book in the Bible. And so uh, I'm sure a lot of us have actually read James, and so I'm going to be talking about James today. But just before I get into that, I, uh, I don't know, I've just been feeling something the last couple weeks. And so today you need to know this. As I'm preaching, I'm, I'm actually preaching to myself too. Right? I'm preaching to me because I know God wants to do some changes in me. And so as I'm sharing today, realize this isn't just me directing it to you. I, I know God's trying to shift something in me too. And I don't know, I think we had a prayer time a couple weeks ago. And uh, maybe even last Friday, I think it was. And we started, was that last Friday? We were talking about the passion, I think. Right? And uh, we were talking about the passion of God. And man... That's something I used to preach a lot on, is the passion, the importance of passion, right? And I know you shared, and I think a few others, it just, it just started to really speak to me. You need to know that. As you guys shared this Friday, it really did something. It was really powerful. And it started to bring just some thoughts, some memories, and all that stuff. And for me, that's what always happens, is I start going down memory lane a bit, and I start to remember that former me. I don't know if any of you, and I don't mean this in the, like there's a former me that was bad and now I'm changed and that's gone. Amen, right? Like that former me is dead and gone. That one's gone. But there was also a former me when I first got saved, 
right? There was a former me probably about 15 years ago, right? And that former me, Kathy's smiling, eh? There was a former me, and I don't know, I just, I think back, and I've shared this many times here when I've preached, I can think back to all the stories. I mean, there was always a testimony. There was always a story. There was always something going on, and, and I just sit there, and I try to think, like, why was there always something going on? And I realized because I was really active in my faith. I was really passionate about my faith. I was really chasing after my faith. And even this morning is so important, so important, because we need to get back to the grassroots of just abandoning ourselves to God, even for the short time that we're here. Because I know for some of us, two hours seems like a lot. But in comparison to our week, it's so small for what we're offering God. And I know sometimes it's like, is this ever going to end? I want it to get to the day where it's like Brownsville, where it's like, I hope this doesn't ever end. I don't want it to end because I want more of God. And I want that passion. And so I remembered one story, and I thought, man, I need to share this because I don't think I've ever shared this one here before. Remember the story? We used to do a thing called Outbreaks. Anybody remember Outbreak? I know Matt remembers that and a bunch of others. And it was a crazy little thing. A bunch of us churches got together. It was the youth groups. And uh, we just decided we were going to come together regardless of denomination, and we were going to worship God. And it started out with the Emmanuel Lutheran Church, ourselves, and Gospel Center out of Edmonton. And we went, and we just started bringing our kids together, and we started worshiping God. And within a year, all of a sudden, it started to expand a bit, you know, and we had the Lighthouse Church jump on board, and shortly after that, we had the Baptist Church jump on board, and then all of a sudden, we had Beach Corner jump on board, we had churches in Westlock jumping on board. I think within two years, we probably had over 20 churches easily that were participating in Outbreak, right? The Alliance churches were coming, Jordy Nelson, all these guys, I mean, it was... It was crazy because all of a sudden there were, there, were, there were times we were getting 500 kids all worshiping God on a Friday night, right? And we just decided once that got going that we were just going to dream even bigger. You know, we started doing events and we started thinking, let's start doing events so we can reach the lost. Let's start doing events that are fun, but we're going to get people to bring their friends. And I remember one year we did this event. We decided to rent, I don't know, it was like five or six Greyhound buses. And there was a big ministry thing going on in Calgary. It was a Miles McPherson crusade. I don't know if anybody remembers Miles McPherson, right? If you've been to YC, there's a chance you've probably seen Miles McPherson at one point in time. Anyways, Miles was there, and it was the staple band for all these events, the Newsboys, right? I think it was always the Newsboys, Delirious, and maybe DC Talk went to all these events. And so we decided we were going to take these buses, and we filled... I don't know, I think it was 300-plus people, right? It was a ton of kids. And I remember we got everybody on the buses and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, just before we were, no, I think we were about 15 minutes into our drive, we get a phone call, and it's the police. And the police, I think they're talking to Steve Trotter. He was from Emmanuel Lutheran at the time. And uh, the police are saying, uh, actually, you have a guy with you who uh, we need to come get him. He's got a warrant out for his arrest, and uh, we want you to stop the bus because we want to come get him, right? And Steve's like, what do we do? And I said, well, tell him what we're doing. Tell him we're going to get him saved. Tell him something. I don't know. He goes, it's a cop. I said, so what? Just try. You know, and I remember Steve's like, well, uh, uh, and he's 
kind of humming and hawing, and we're all praying all of a sudden, right? I mean, the faith is high, and everybody's, let's pray, let's pray. We want this kid to come. We didn't even know who it was. We knew he was on one of the buses. We didn't know who it was. And so we start praying and all this, and Steve is talking to this guy saying, hey, look, we're taking these kids to Calgary to this conference, and you know what? I think you should let the kid come with us. I think his life's going to get changed if he comes. And this cop hums and haws, and he goes, okay, I'll let you take him. But as soon as you get back, I want you to phone me because I'm coming to pick him up right from the bus. We said, okay, no problem. We drive to Calgary, and we go to this crusade, this Miles McPherson thing. And sure enough, this kid goes to the front and gets saved, gives his life to Jesus. And we get on the bus, and we come back home. We phone the cop. We get to tell him you can come pick him up, but the kid got saved. You can clap right now. That's... We should be clapping before I tell you. Because let me tell you something. When people get saved, all of heaven is rejoicing. Right? If we want heaven on earth, we need to join in with that. Because it's a joyful thing when people get saved. Right? It's a big thing when people get saved. And I remember back to that day. And that day is a good day. It's a good story. And I remind myself, God, I want to see that same fruit today. I want to see that fruit. I don't want to just tell the stories anymore. I want to see the same fruit. And so that's why I'm going to be speaking out of James today, because if you've read James, you know he likes to talk a little bit about that, right? He talks a little bit about that fruit. And so we're going to be in James 2, but, you know, if you've read James chapter 1, he spends a little bit of time talking about endurance and character. And I felt that was a bit of the theme that was coming out in our worship today, right? And I thought, you know what? Sometimes we need a reminder that God has a plan, and his plan is this, is that we would become overcomers, right? right? In fact, in the Word, it says that the overcomers will become the pillars in heaven. And so there is something about overcoming that we need to catch, right? When we're in our situations and we're so focused on our situation, you have to remember something. You are going to overcome it by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is not going to abandon you. That's not who he is. He's going to take you through it. That's who he is. But as you've overcome it, you're becoming stronger. You're becoming a pillar, right? That's what pillars are. They're strong, right? That's what we want to become. And if it means we have to go through some endurance testing and some character testing, do we welcome it? That's a tough one. But I think we need to, knowing that we're not by ourselves. We sang that for probably 30 minutes today. I hope we caught that. We are not by ourselves. He is with us. He is with us. He is with us. And he's not going to leave us. That's who he is. You know, even more than that, if you read the end of James chapter 1, I think it's James 1.18. It's one of my, no, it's not the end, I don't think. It's one of my favorite parts of James because it says that we're his chosen possession. <laughs> Did you hear that? Why would he abandon his chosen possession? He's not going to abandon his chosen possession. You need to look at yourself right now. Well, you can't. It's physically impossible. I get that. But you, I'll look at you. You are his chosen possession. Fully loved. Fully accepted. Fully adopted into the family of Christ. 
This morning, if you're wondering, am I really, truly accepted? Let me break that lie for you. Yes, you are. That's the truth, right? Somehow the enemy loves to camp on that one. He just wants to sit there. I don't fit in. I'm not part. I'm not. Yes, you are. More than that, you're chosen. You're chosen. That's who you are. Now, I'll talk more about that coming up because sometimes, yes, sometimes we as people don't do the best of jobs making everybody feel welcome. And that's when the enemy really goes after it. But the truth is you are. You need to know that this morning, that if that's something that's coming at you, it's not true. You're welcome into this place today. And most of all, he welcomes you, right? He welcomes you. You know, as you get into James chapter 2, and uh, we're going to get up to where I'm going to camp today. But when we get to verses 1 to 8, it talks a little bit about favoritism and partiality. And I just wanted to pause there, too, because, I mean, as soon as I start reading James, I'm like, where can I not preach? I think I want to preach about every single thing he's talking about. And so I'm not going to go too far into it, but, I mean, it's, I, I feel like I need to pause here. Because this is another thing that it just, man, it's, whew, this is a, a pretty important word. You know, and this challenges us that, you know, guy walks into your church and he's dressed up really nice and this, and, and we favor this guy. We put him in the front row. And then another guy walks in just off the streets, and we sit him in the back. This is what James is talking about. He's talking about partiality. And he's saying, I don't want you to be a people who do that. I don't want you to favor one person over another. And I started to really weigh into that, and I was like, I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I started to think a little bit about the community I live in. And I thought about, well, I've got a neighbor on one side of me. I call her the golden neighbor. She is. She's the golden neighbor. She doesn't do anything wrong pretty much ever. In fact, she's always kind to me. She's always nice to me. You know, she's nice to my kids. She's given them jobs. I'm like, Lord, I love this neighbor so much. Thank you for blessing me with the golden neighbor, right? I'm so thankful. And I know we've shared a little bit about this before, but we, we used to have some pretty bad neighbors at one point, right? And they moved. They moved on. Does everybody say hallelujah? Yeah. Well, my wife, she's a faithful little one, this one, right? And she loves to pray. And so, of course, she started to pray for that house. And she started to pray for some more golden neighbors to show up in that house, right? And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And then these people moved in. I'm just going to say they're not the golden neighbors. <laughs> Maybe they are the golden neighbors, actually, right? It's true. Because Jim just said that. I don't know if you heard him. It's just what you needed. You know, I was just talking to Sean about this the other day. I mean, Sean and Andrea were going for a walk one day, and they were walking by our house. They didn't know it was our house. And uh, Jen, if you've ever been to her house, she's a flower magnet. She just loves flowers, and she has flowers everywhere. And so they were walking by, and then they walked by her house, and they were like, this house is so beautiful. It's got these nice flowers and all this. And as they kept walking, all of a sudden they saw our neighbors. 
And they said, they'll never be able to sell their home, right? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then they found out it was us. <laughs> he told me that on Friday night. Thank you, Howells, for doing the Friday night thing. Amazing. They had 75 people. An excellent night. But let me tell you something about our neighbors. Okay? Again, I'm learning to love them. But they spend 13 to 14 hours a day on their deck. And they smoke, they dope, they burp, they drink and they drink, they swear and they yell all day. All day. What was it, plus 30 the last two days? You got to shut your window to go to sleep. We don't have air conditioning, right? I mean, a lot of stuff gets in there and... And as I'm reading James, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm partial in any way. And I felt, oh, are you sure about that? Are you a little partial towards one of your neighbors over the others? Well, yeah, wouldn't you be? Right? I had this conversation with the Lord. I'm like, wouldn't you be? He's like, Chris, Chris, do you think I'm going to put all the perfect people beside you? These people were perfect for us. I can't believe I just said that. Oh, we're going to be held to this, too. You know that now, right? We are. We're going to be held to this. But I realize there's some partiality in me. The Lord says, you're just looking at the action. Have you ever talked to them? Have you actually maybe heard their story? Listened to their heart? Maybe that's why they're here. And, of course, we end up starting to have connection with them because I'm going to say this, too. Out of all our neighbors, they're probably the most social. Most of our neighbors hide in their homes. These guys never hide in their homes. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Wish they did. No, no, I don't. But I mean, when we start to have the conversation and they start to tell us the stories, I mean, the stories are when I was 11 years old, man, my parents were allowing me to do dope. My parents were doing this. My parents were doing that. My parents were doing this. My dad left me. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened. This happened. And God's like, are you getting it? They've got no one to teach them. No one to talk to them. No one to show them the right way. Do you think just maybe, maybe it could be you guys? Or is it a little too loud for you today? Well, it is a little too loud. You know, I didn't promise you comfort. I know, but you could give me a little. You know, I mean, this is the battle that goes on, right? God's working on my heart when it comes to partiality. Well, does it happen in the church? Never, right? Never. It's the same thing. We all have our people groups that we're attracted to. God's going to challenge us. Can we get past that? Can we love each other? Do we even see new people when they walk in? Do we see people who have no one to connect with? Do we see it? What are we looking for? Man, God, I'm sorry, I'm preaching to myself. Not to you. Don't worry, I'm not preaching to you. But I think about this a lot. God, place that love and that desire in us that not one would ever walk in this building without being loved. That's our heart. And today, if you're visiting, you know what? We want, to, we want you to know we want you to be loved. 
You are so welcome in this place. And we are so glad you are in this place. Right? Forgive us where we're a little weak at times at our presentation or, you know, whatever it is. But you are welcome in this place. You need to know that. Okay, that's not even what I'm preaching about. I want to camp in James chapter 2. And I want to talk about that fruit. Because I want to see it too. I want to see it here in this place. I want to see it in the community that I live in. I want to see that fruit. We know James chapter 2, when we get up to verse 14, it talks about faith without works is dead. You know, there's always this little, I don't know, some people say there's an argument or there's a debate between Romans and James. I don't think there is one at all, right? I don't. Uh, We know what Romans says, right? That we are saved by faith and not by works. So today, as I preach, in no way hear that that I'm saying you have to do all the work to get saved. Uh, That's not the message of James either, just so you know. That's not his message at all, right? But Romans, we we know what it talks about, but we know James spends a lot of time talking about our actions. He talks about our behaviors. He talks to us about living for Christ through our actions and our deeds. And I think where Jane would challenge us is that our works is a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, can we say amen? Is that true? Okay, that's what we're talking about here. Is the fruit, the works, call it what you want. It's the byproduct of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's read what it says. This is verse 14. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Lest also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a powerful statement, right? This is a constant reminder to us that as Christians, it's not just our job to pray for the guy we see sitting on the side of the street. If we're actually able to be the good Samaritan, he's saying there should be fruit based on the fact that you've accepted Jesus as Lord. So it's not just enough to say be blessed. Provide for him, right? He's challenging us there. Fruit, it should come. But someone will say to you, I have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by his works and not by his faith alone. Now, James uses two interesting illustrations here because, yeah, we're talking about Abraham right here. The father of the faith. Well, who can live up to what Abraham did? I mean, the father of the faith, but... It's so interesting because then we get to see the next 
example that he uses, right? Which comes out of Joshua. And he talks about, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You know, I read that, and I was really praying about it, and the Lord was saying, I want you to understand this a little bit more. And he always gives me illustrations through my kids. I don't know if you guys get that. You know, but I always get these illustrations through my kids. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that's not up for debate with my kids is my love for them. Right? That's not up for debate. I I love my kids. It's a free gift. Right? It's a free gift. They were born into that. They're born into that. That's the gift they get. My love. They get that. Right? It's not based on whether they vacuum. It's not based, if they're listening to this, I still want you to vacuum. It's not based on whether they do the dishes. It's not based on whether they always clean their room and all that. My love is not based on that. Do I want them to do those things? Do you want them to do those things? Why? It's normal. It makes them better people. What else did I hear? Right? All the kids are saying, could you stop preaching right now? This is terrible. I want my kids to learn that stuff because I want them to be part of the family. I want them to be producers in the family. I want them to help and learn because one day they're going to have a family and they just need to learn that stuff. Right? But if they don't do it, are there consequences? Oh, yeah, there are. But one of those consequences is not the loss of my love. That is never up for grabs. Ever. Right? No matter what, the love is always there. Right? So James is teaching us that faith is more than just words. That's the reality of it. Um, I'll give you another example. We all know this one. Um, oh, man. This is going to be a tough one, too. Think of our wives and our kids again, right? And I, I always tell my wife, well, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. My wife always asks me, is what I should say, do you love me? Right? She does all the time. You know, I mean, it can be 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, we get into bed. And my wife will look over. Do you love me? (laughs) Yeah. I thought we figured this out. (laughs) Right? Don't you remember? Right? I said all the stuff. Done. Right? Isn't it? I didn't say that, but in my head, I'm thinking that. Like, how many times do I got to tell you? Did you forget? Right? Like, I love you. I love Yes, I love you. Yes. Well, then the next words that she always gives me is this. <laughs> Anybody know? Why? Yeah. Why? I, yeah, did you hear that, Nathan? This is so brutal. <laughs> Woo! And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, think quick, think quick. Many reasons, so many reasons. I can't think of them all. There's so many. You're so awesome, and I love you, and you're beautiful. What else? I heard those ones. What else? Right? I mean, it just, oh, my goodness. Does this happen to any of you, or is it just me? Is it just me? Thank you. 
All the men, look at your wife and say, I love you. All right? Why? <laughs> Why? That question. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've, I think I figured it out. All right? Because this, this is a term that comes out in my house. <laughs> right? When we have really intense talks sometimes. You know, you need to be present. I want you to be present. Can you be present? And what does that look like, being present? Right? What's she looking for? She wants proof. She wants evidence. She wants action. She actually really wants to know, if you love me, why don't you ever show me? I don't know. I thought I did. Sorry, confession time right here, right? I keep saying I love you, but I get it. I get it. I get it. Jen's so glad that I actually, you know, had to spend time with God for this message because I get it. Right? I, I get I just want you to know I get it. Okay? Hopefully, husbands, you're going to get this. All right? Your wife wants some evidence. She doesn't want just the words. She wants the fruit. She wants to see it in you. Because when you don't show her, guess what? She doesn't feel like you love her. She feels insecure. She feels sad. All these things go through. And where does that lead? Division. And it keeps escalating and escalating when all we have to do, man, is just show them a little love. Take them for a drive. She loves going for drives. She's looking for that love. Right? You're smiling. It's true. You want him to show you. Okay? We're going to pause here. Gaylene's like, yes, please. Okay. I think for all of us, man, we need to actually, you know, this wasn't even part of my message, but I just feel this. We need to be present with our wives. We live in a time where, I don't know if it's true or not, but they say the Christian divorce rate is the same as the world's. I don't know if it's really true. I hope it's not, right? But I'm telling you this. The world is going to know we love him by our love. And we need to love. And we need to start with our wives and our kids, right? And this is the reality of this, right? This is one of the greatest examples. Because if we love God, there needs to be fruit. There needs to be evidence of this, right? James is telling the church that faith in Christ is, guess what? It's a transforming faith. It's not just a transforming faith. It's a transforming force, right? That's the truth. It's not a transforming faith alone. It's a transforming force that actually moves. And all that stuff we're talking about today, guess what? That force can shift that. It can change that, right? In fact, he wants that changed. He wants it all changed, right? So we know, once again, okay, salvation is a free gift, but once we receive it, transformation follows. I know this to be true, right? And I've preached this many times, right? 17 got saved there. The transformation happened immediately. Nobody in here can argue with me about our God being a transformative God. He is. He did it to me. I was the guy, maybe you're in here, that didn't care, didn't want to have anything to do with it, right? He 100% transformed every single thing in me, changed it just like that, gone, right? It's in us, and it causes the situations around us to be transformed as well. This is what we want. When we're here, transformation takes place. When we're at work, transformation takes place. When you're walking on the street, transformation takes place. Why? Because we understand the concept of the Good Samaritan. When we see something, we're going to do something. 
Transformation follows. Why? Because he's got a hold of our heart. It's now in us. If it's in us, man, it's just going to flow out of us. Again, when I was in Brownsville, it didn't stop at worship. Their worship was their lives. Every single thing, every single act was given over to God. They worshiped him fully through song. They worshiped him fully through their love for people. Everything they did, full acts of worship. And this is what God is asking us. Can we fully, 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 fully give everything on to him? My neighbors will change because my God's a transformative God. And this is the trick, I think. Is I'm, man, I'm focused more on my comfort. That's the truth. I am. God wants to change their hearts. He's saying, you are that transformative force. You! You can change that. Don't you know? Rebecca said this. I can't remember where we were. At prayer or somewhere. I think it was prayer on Wednesday that he can do greater things. When's it going to happen? He can and he will when we understand who he is and what he wants to do through us and believe it. That's, that's the part about it I, I realized. And I don't do it because I don't fully believe those parts. God, you've got to change my heart. Talking to the guy, everybody says, here's the evangelist. Well, this evangelist, it feels like is kind of put it up on the shelf a bit and it's where God's saying, No! I've got a dying world. I need you. Your neighbors need you. Your four other employees, they all need you. It's just the reality. They do. I thought about this. For some of you, your kids who are not saved, he's a transforming force. He's got your kids. Don't stop praying. Don't you stop praying. Keep praying and keep praying. He's not going to let them go. What does this look like? What does the fruit look like? I don't know. Maybe it's praying all the time, right? I think the Bible says pray without ceasing. I love what uh, Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, I never pray for more than five minutes at a time, but I never go five minutes without praying. It means it's a continuous thing. It should always be in us, serving as he asks, giving when we're supposed to, loving whoever's in front of us, worshiping him through songs and actions, just like Abraham did. It was called worship when he brought his son to the altar. The action of it. That was worship when he did that. Reading of the word. Well, how's that transformative? Because it transforms you. That's what it does. As you get the word of God in you, it transforms you and who you are. It's still, keep reading it. Don't stop. It's transformative. That's what it is. I mean, sharing the gospel, the fruits of the spirit, we could list them all. Love, joy, peace, kind, all of them. Right? This is the stuff that he wants to come through, it, come through us. Fruit should follow. I think of a tree, right? Think of this. Does the fruit give the tree life? No. What is it? It's a byproduct. It's the evidence, once again, that the tree is alive. Right? That's all it is. It doesn't give the tree life. It's the evidence that the tree is alive. And Jack Hayford said this. I love this. Anybody know who Jack Hayford is? You should. He's a really good writer. He says, our works, and then he says, fill in these other words if it's better for you, fruit, action, or obedience, show the genuineness of what we profess. In fact, faith creates works. It creates transformative moments. It's what it does. It creates that kind of stuff. So I just want to read. A little bit out of James 1, to 25. 
And then I'm going to read a little bit out of John. What time are we at? Jim, can you give me a heads up when it's about 12 o'clock here? So I don't go, thank you very much. You're so good. 15 or 10? 10 minutes. All right. Let's go to James 1, 22 to 25. And it says, and remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. That's what he says. Let's go over to uh, John. John 15. You guys know this one. It's talking all about fruit, right? So John 15 talks about this. I'll start in verse uh, 4. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful apart from me. That's powerful. That's what we're doing this morning. This is it. We need to be in him. We need to. The fruit won't come until we get this. We have to be in him, right? Today, tomorrow, every day, we have to be in him. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me... And I and them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. My true disciples produce much fruit that brings great glory to my Father. Now, we need to understand this, right? When he's saying, you'll ask for anything, this isn't a million dollars. We need to catch that, right? Because some, sometimes we get mad. We're asking for all the stuff, and he doesn't give it to us. When our hearts are in line with his, we're going to begin to ask for the things that he wants. And when we begin to ask for the things that he wants, everything begins to change, and he gives it. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I know people want joy in here. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. And here is is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friends if you obey me. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friend, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for, using my name. I command you to love each other. That's powerful, right? I want us to get something, because this is going to kind of fall back into that passion thing we hit on the Friday. And I want you to hear me here because it's so important to know the scriptures. It's so important to know the theology, the historical figures. But let me tell you something. It's not enough. You hearing me there? It's not enough. Think of James 2.19, right? Even the demons believe this, it says, and they tremble. Right? There are many atheists who actually know the scripture. They know the theology. Many people know the theology. Right? Many people know this stuff. 
But what he's asking for is this, and it goes back to John 15, 4. We have to fully remain in him. We have to know him. We have to seek him. The knowing part of just knowing the stuff, that's not enough. Right? I always joke with my kid. He's like, yeah, I know everything about Connor McDavid. I'm like, you've never met him. I know everything, though. No, you don't. You know his stats. You don't know everything about him because you've never met him. You need to meet him. Then you'll really know his heart. That's what he wants. He wants us to know his heart. And when we know his heart, guess what? We're going to pray for that. When we pray for that, that's going to happen. That's his promise. When we ask, we shall receive it. Again, I didn't grow up in the church, and I know some of us, we've learned so much theology, which is good, but I don't know. Maybe there's some of us in here today that our faith is stale. Maybe it is dry. Maybe it's like, I've done this forever, and it just never gets better. It never, I don't know. And then I keep reminding myself, this is supposed to be a transforming faith. What's going on? What's blocking my journey? What's the stuff that's in the way? What is it? What is it? And then I think of this. Well, here's two statements. A faith that's alive leads to an ongoing love for God and others. You want to be with him. God, I want to want to be with you all the time. There's a part of me that, let's just be honest, I don't always want to be with you. I would never say, even though I just did. But I have a lot of other things that are priorities right now. And I'm not saying these things are all bad, but the number one thing needs to be, I want to be with him. I want to be with him, which leads to a love for him and a love for others. You know what? I get to look in the mirror. When I see hate in my heart towards other people, I'm not close enough to him. I'm not close enough to him, man. Something's got to shift. Something's got to change. You don't only desire to trust him, but you desire to obey him. This is that next step. Is I know all this stuff's true, but I'm going to obey you when you tell me to move. To the left and to the right, I'm going to do it because now I trust you. I trust you. What do we have? I didn't know if I wanted to read this. Should I read this to you guys? Three things that can define dead faith. Should I? Yeah, let's do it. It's a lip service but not a love. We need to be growing in our love for Christ. We have to be growing in our love for Christ. We don't just want correct theology. We have to be growing in our love for Jesus Christ. We want the fire and the passion. We got to want that. Man, I want that back, don't you? I want that back. I want the fire and the passion because it changes everything, including me. I need to be changed because some of this stuff is true. There's some stale days. There's some strides. Dry days, there we go. There's days where it's like, why am I doing this? I want him. I want the passion. I don't want that. I remember when I didn't care about that. I just wanted to keep running. I wanted to keep running because he owned my heart and every part of it. Second way is this, is, is, is rebellion creeping in? Not wanting to repent. A good question to ask yourself is, how do you respond to conviction? Is your immediate response, I want to repent because I don't want to sin. Now, this one's all right. This this one's kind of on the lower. They're not on a list. Right? Throw the list out. I don't want to sin anymore. When that's creeping in, it's, God, I need you. I need to find my way right back to that altar and give everything to you, every single thing. The last one here is, Admit but won't submit. This is what the demons do, right? 
they admit who he is, but they won't submit to him, right? This is the whole concept of we want him as Savior, but do we want him as Lord? Are we going to allow him to be king over every area of our life? Because that's what he wants. He wants to be king over those areas that we're struggling to give to him. He wants it. Are we willing to give it to him? I'm going to speed it up a little bit because I know it's time. Again, I love the two illustrations that James uses, Abraham and Rahab. I really wanted to read that. Where are we at? But I won't. I'm going to encourage you to read it. Should I read it? That's only that side. All right. Genesis what? Derek? He knows. 22. Okay, this is where it all goes down, right? Forgive me, I'm not reading this. This one's out of the NIV. I know, I know. But you noticed I read the other one, right? You saw it. Yeah, you knew that. Good. (laughs) Thank you. All right, let's read this, and then we're pretty much done, right? Yeah. Then I'm going to give you a Billy Graham quote, because I I love the quote, and I just need to share it. All right. Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. I would have stopped right there. The next morning? What are you talking about? What are you talking Like, honestly, I would have had a pretty long debate Right? The next morning, Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood to build a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place where God had told him to go. On the third day of the journey, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young man. The boy, I, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Huh. We will worship there, right? Wow. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the fire. As the two men went together, Isaac said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the wood and the fire, said the boy, but where is the lamb for sacrifice? God will provide a lamb, my son, Abraham answered. And they both went on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told Abraham to go, he built an altar and placed the wood on it. Then he tied Isaac up and laid him on the altar over the wood. And Abraham took the knife and lifted it up to kill his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. At that moment, the angel of the Lord shouted to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he answered, I'm listening. Lay down the knife, the angel said. Don't hurt the boy in any way, for I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even your beloved son from me. And what does he do because of that? We can skip down to verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your beloved son, I swear by my own self that I will bless you richly. I will multiply your descendants into countless millions. What am I not willing to hand over to him? What am I not willing to hand over to him? I want to hand it all to him. I want to be fully obedient to what the Lord wants. That has got to be one of the most extreme illustrations. The biggest test for anybody right there. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Word. 
fully devoted to God, fully loves him. The measure of our faith is not our talk, it's our walk. We've all heard that, right? And Billy Graham said this. I'll end on this one. Who liked Billy Graham? Anybody? Good old Billy, right? We loved him. Faith and works go together. It's like inhaling and exhaling. Faith takes the gospel in and works takes the gospel out. It's the reality of it. You know, we're going to end there. Let's just stand to our feet. You know, all this stuff happens when the passion comes back. When the passion comes back, it's in us, it's in our heart, then it begins to get all around us. It begins to touch everybody we're around. That's what we want. We want that passion. And God, I'm not afraid of the works. I'm not afraid of the fruit. It's in me. I want to do those things. Why? Because it blesses your heart. It blesses your heart. I want to see the lost get saved. I want to pray. I want to intercede. I want to do all the things you call us to do, whether it's to serve and shovel my neighbor's yard. I don't care. We want to honor you, Father. But right now, Father, the one thing I ask is this. And if you're struggling with that passion, I just want you to put your hand up to God. We're going to close our eyes because some people don't like this stuff. But let me say, put your hand up. Father God, right now, God, just right now as our hands are raised to you, you're the only one who can place that passion in us. And, Father, yeah, there's some things we can start to do. We can start to really challenge ourselves, and we can do what the Word says. We can uh, build our character by trusting you, listening to your Word, talking to you, praying to you. But, Father, as we do this, you're the only one who can build that passion and fire again. And, Father, we want that. We want the passion. We want the fire. We want it, God. We want it. We want it. We want it. We want to come in here on a Sunday, God, and run to the altars again because we're so full of passion. God, we want to run into the building, and our hands are already up. We're already on our face. Why? Because we just want more of you, more and more and more of you, because we want everything to change, starting with me, my kids, my neighbors, the people I work with. Whatever it is, God, we want it all to change. And it starts with one thing, me running to the altar and pushing past every single thing that says don't do it. You don't need it. It's not real. It is real. If you want it, you got to fight for it. Fight. This is the faith we're in. We sung it. you got to fight. He is right there. He's right around you right now, right now. Or something in you, and I sense it for some of us. It's like, I just can't get past it. Yes, you can. He is right there. you got to choose to push past it. That massive wall, you're the only one who takes it down. you got to bust through that wall and chase after him with everything you have. Every single thing you have. You know, Tommy Tenney, I don't know if you ever read Tommy Tenney's The God Chasers. You need to read it. Chase him until you find him. That's it. It's like hide and seek. You don't stop until you find him. You're at the altar until you do that. Father, I pray a blessing on each person as they leave this place. God, that none would leave here and say, oh, oh, well, something changes today. And I'm praying that right now over me, God. Something changes over me, over my heart, over my mind, over my attitudes. God, right now in the name of Jesus, something changes now. It will not be the same. Jesus. Can we say amen to that?